Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Ian Dawson. Uh, this is our first episode in a couple of weeks. I'd said on the last episode that we recorded two weeks ago that we might be taking a break for a while as I was going to be traveling. I've just spent the last couple of weeks on vacation in Europe and returned yesterday on Thursday the 22nd. Uh, Aaron's busy with other stuff today and so this is going to be a solo episode with just me today. Should be back to our usual two episodes uh, together next week. Uh, this is our news roundup episode for the week. We won't have a question of the week this week. We'll just do the news roundup. And so I'll just run through some of the week's big news, or actually the last two weeks' big news since we didn't do an episode last week, and uh, talk through both what's happened and then share some of my thoughts on the news uh, that's been happening. Uh, as you may recall, I've talked a few times over the last few months about my site Tech Narratives, which I launched back in January. Uh, at, in the show notes, you'll have noticed I mostly link to pieces from Tech Narratives and talking about these things. That's because those are places where I've already talked about a number of these things. You can see a quick written summary of my view on some of this stuff. Um, one of the interesting things that's come out of the exercise of running Tech Narratives is that I've really had a good sense of how newsworthy uh, each week is in Tech News. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, as we've kind of entered the summer months with June, uh, it's really become apparent to me that uh, things are going to be quieter in the summer. That's not unexpected, certainly. Uh, but it does mean there's going to be fewer big news items to cover. And so I do have two big things that I want to talk about today. But um, I'll also have three smaller things that I'll talk about as well. So the first of the two big things is a whole set of things about Uber. And in our last episode two weeks ago, we, we already made Uber a big focus then, but so much has happened since then that it's worth doing that again. Um, I'll talk specifically about the um, Eric Holder report and its recommendations and how those are going to be implemented by Uber. I'll talk about the resignations of Emil Michael and Travis Kalanick uh, and talk about a couple of other sort of smaller things that have happened in the context of Uber in the last couple of weeks as well. Those obviously are the big ones. Uh, the second big item that I'll talk about is Amazon's proposed acquisition of Whole Foods, the uh, grocer. Um, I'll talk probably a little bit about Walmart's acquisition of Bonobos as well, a much smaller acquisition, but in any other week would have been the big e-commerce news uh, that week. Uh, and then the sort of third, fourth, and fifth topics will be smaller ones. Uh, Microsoft announced a new Xbox almost two weeks ago at this point, which we haven't talked about on the podcast yet. Uh, secondly, brief Apple story, Apple uh, not only hired but announced the hiring in a press release of two former Sony TV execs and I want to talk briefly about the implications of that. And then lastly, just today on Friday, uh, Google has announced that Gmail, its email service, will no longer be scanning the contents of your emails in order to provide targeted advertising and, and so I'll talk about that briefly and there's some broader significance to that but let's kick things off with Uber and the Uber news uh, you can't be unaware of what's been happening here but just as a quick summary uh, a few months back when Uber went through a crisis of bad news and uh, blog post by Susan Fowler a former engineering employee highlighted some really bad sexual harassment and discrimination issues. Uh, the company set in motion two different investigations, one of which was to focus on individual cases that had been reported and determine what had actually happened and take the appropriate actions, and we've talked about that one before. The second of which was going to be led by Eric Holder and a colleague from his law firm 
and was to look into the cultural issues, what had enabled these things to happen in the first place, and therefore what needed to change in order for Uber to improve its culture. Uh, that was the subject to a deep dive in an earlier episode of the podcast that I referred to last time around. That report finally came out uh, just uh, about a week ago, and uh, over the weekend the board agreed to adopt all the recommendations that were made in the uh, the Holder report, and then at the same time, the company announced that Travis Kalanick would be taking a leave of absence for an unspecified amount of time. Uh, it also announced that Emil Michael was leaving. He was a key lieutenant of Travis Kalanick's. And then subsequently, Travis Kalanick announced he was resigning uh, after pressure from a number of investors. So that's all that's been happening. Um, the long and the short of it is the, the report was long with many, many different recommendations. And just the length of it and the number of those recommendations is a great sign of quite how bad things have got at Uber, how many things need to change there. Uh, but the fact that the report didn't hold back on those things, I mean, one frustrating thing about the report is there's absolutely nothing descriptive in it. It's entirely prescriptive. In other words, it doesn't say this is what's happened, this is what the culture has been like so far. You know, there may have been another part of that report that was provided to the board and that, that hasn't been made public. The only part that was made public was the actual recommendations portion uh, with a brief introduction. But the recommendations by implication suggest all kinds of things that haven't been happening. And although there are elements of it that feel like special things that need to be done at Uber at just this time to deal with specific problems, there's a lot of it that just feels like standard good practice with regard to making sure employees are treated right, making sure there isn't uh, discrimination and harassment and so on. And that's indicative of kind of how poor the internal processes and protections for employees have been at Uber and how some of the stuff just needs to be sort of basic groundwork to be laid for, for better cultural and um, workplace uh, environment so that people can feel safe, especially women at Uber, and, and that things can be improved. Notably, the recommendations include tweaking some of the uh, values that uh, Uber, especially Travis Kalanick personally, have always trumpeted, um, some of which really lend themselves to abuses. Um, so that was really notable. But every one of those recommendations being adopted, the big question is just who will adopt them now? Because even when Travis Kalanick was just taking a brief leave of absence, uh, there was reported that there were 14 people essentially working as a committee to run the company, with Kalanick himself still chiming in pretty regularly, with him also stepping down permanently. Um, even though he is somewhat involved, apparently he's on the search committee looking for a new CEO and so on, so he isn't completely absent still. Uh, but you know there is this vacuum at the top of the company. There's no obvious person to kind of step in and take leadership of the company. And so that CEO search takes on urgency. The COO search, I imagine, might well actually now become secondary to that and wait a while so that there can be a good fit between those two roles um, and uh, all kinds of other things going on as well. I think Emil Michael's departure was a sign that Klanik might have to go eventually because so many of the things that Michael had done over time uh, at Uber were things in which Klanik was, if not complicit, certainly aware of and uh, and therefore it felt like a strange double standard to have Emil Michael leave and Klanik stay when they were guilty of many of the same things. And I think that probably, as much as anything else, and then the, the strength of the recommendations in the report and the decision to implement them really made it tough for Klanik to stay at that point. And I've argued all the way along. I haven't explicitly ever argued that he should be fired or anything like that. Um, I've certainly suggested 
that it would be very tough for Uber to change uh, its culture fundamentally while Travis Kalanick remained there in charge because of how much that culture was directly a result of his own views, his own behavior and so on, how much he'd modeled that culture himself personally. Uh, so it was always going to be very tough for Uber to change while he was still in charge. And I'd also argued that there was a double standard that other people had been forced out while he got to stay, even though, again, he was guilty of many of the same things. So I think there's a far better chance that Uber really makes substantial changes at this point. It was notable that a 1,000-plus employees signed a petition to have him come back as CEO. Clearly, he has the support of a lot of the employees there. That's, that's a minority of the employee base, but it's a significant one. Um, obviously, he's not coming back, but... Um, it's notable that uh, you know the employees certainly don't hate him, and many of them actually want him to stay. I, I'm sure a large number also are quite glad to see the back of him because of those cultural things that he's driven, and and the prospects of that improving going forward. But you know, yet more stuff uh, about Uber and its toxic culture. Uh, but also, I think this week the first real sign is that there is going to be significant change. And as we talked about last week, uh, sorry, two, last time around, two weeks ago. Um, you know, that's a positive thing. That's something that absolutely needs to happen. And it's a great opportunity for Uber to start moving forward. So, you know, big disruptions, leaves a big vacuum leadership wise. Some really big questions come out of all of this in terms of Uber's strategy. You know, for example, uh, you know, where it goes on autonomous driving, does it continue to plow alone furrow, essentially trying to do everything itself? Or does it start to work more with partnerships? Lyft has recently taken a rather different tack and created what it calls an open platform for autonomy, uh, working with companies like Newtonomy, also an investment from GM, uh, and working with Waymo around autonomous driving technology. You know, does Uber go down that road? Uh, as a sort of subset of that, how does the court case with Waymo go forward now that Lewandowski and Kalanick are both out of the picture? Can that perhaps move to a faster conclusion, possibly a settlement, or do they continue to fight that aggressively? Who makes these decisions? Presumably that's the board now. Uh, do they wait for a CEO to be appoint, appointed so that the CEO can influence those decisions? And if so, how long will some of those things take? So lots of big questions about all of that, if nothing else. Um, but some other minor changes that were announced at the same time, um, Uber announced changes to its app and the way it pays out to drivers and so on as part of a package of stuff meant to help drivers. Um, you know, some good stuff there, tipping and various other things. A lot of it's going to come out of the pocket of passengers rather than Uber itself. And it's always been one of the problems is Uber's mistreated drivers, partly because it has to squeeze them in order to get the margins it will eventually need to be a sustainable business. Uh, a lot of these changes will come, as I say, out of the pockets of passengers, although some of them aren't completely clear. Uh, but there's a fundamental lack of trust among the driver community for Uber and its leadership. And so these will go some way towards addressing some specific pain points, but they're not going to immediately turn around that relationship with drivers. Although, again, the broader cultural changes that should now be coming may help with that. But anyway, I think that's enough on Uber for now. Again, I'll have links in the show notes to uh, several things that I wrote on Tech Narratives about all of this. Uh, again, Tech Narratives is a subscription site. Um, it's a paid subscription. Uh, some of the pieces are free. Uh, many aren't. Uh, it's $10 a month uh, at this point, uh, but there's a 30-day free trial. So if you haven't tried that yet, you can go and try that and read all those articles that I'll link to on this and the other stuff that I'll talk about today, but also all the past articles and quite a bit of other stuff in there as well. Secondly, let's talk about Amazon and Whole Foods. Uh, this was, as I said, the big 
news um, earlier this week, uh, announced on the 16th. So I guess it was actually late last week, sorry, Friday last week, a week ago. Um, and uh, kind of came out of the blue to some extent. Uh, Whole Foods had been kind of under pressure from some activist investors and so on. Amazon obviously been pushing into groceries for a while, but still this kind of came out of the blue to some extent. Uh, and yet makes perfect sense uh, for a variety of reasons. You know, Amazon, I've argued uh, for the last few months, has really, it almost seems as, and I'm sure to some extent it's literally true, that they are working their way down a list of things that are really tough for e-commerce to do well uh, and just slowly figuring out their way around some of those things. And so groceries is a big category there. Clothing's another one, and they made a clothing-related announcement a few days ago around Prime Wardrobe um, but uh, and, you know, previously Echo Look and various other things that are clearly sort of clothing-centric. Uh, but groceries is a big one, and they've been kind of working their way through that over time. They've had Amazon Fresh for several years now. Uh, it's limited to just a few cities. There are some big logistical problems with that. You need to get sufficient scale so that it's worth ordering all the possible things that people might want and get them close enough to customers so that they can be delivered to them. And yet you don't want to have massive wastage or spoilage uh, in those goods. And so it's just been really tough for them to get over that hump. Meanwhile, they've been working on this Amazon Go uh, cash register free um grocery concept uh, near their headquarters which was supposed to launch more widely recently but the uh, launch of that's been pushed back because it's not working very well somewhat unsurprisingly always struck me as a bit ambitious um, but this whole foods acquisition suddenly propels amazon into a position of being a really big uh, grocery store owner in the u.s which gives it scale it needs to build up that grocery business the 400 or so stores that Whole Foods has in the US are pretty much all in urban locations in the kinds of places where Amazon would want to build that infrastructure and probably also has a lot of its warehouse infrastructure nearby already as well. So it has the logistical piece there to connect together. Um, but yeah, this suddenly gives it massive scale. Um, I do wonder if there's some interesting cultural clash stuff coming. I think some of the people who like to shop at Whole Foods because of the values, because of the organic component and so on, maybe the same people that object to Amazon and its warehouse conditions and various things like that. So I do wonder if there's a, an interesting clash coming there. Um, but certainly lots of potential there. I would guess they'll run Whole Foods as is for the time being. But over time, there may well be some co-branding. There may well be some Amazon product corner within the Whole Foods stores. And then obviously Whole Foods stores will become pickup locations for Amazon Fresh, which is another concept Amazon's been trying out in Seattle uh, and lots of other things to come. So really interesting acquisition. Um, obviously a bit scary if you are another grocer and all their stocks were hit pretty hard, although they were already having a bad week uh, because Kroger, one of the big grocery chains here in the US, had a uh, bad earnings call in which they warned about some real troubles. So kind of hard to separate those two, but clearly... People were rather worried about the rest of the grocery market with Amazon becoming a more direct and, and larger scale player there. Uh, the big challenge, of course, is still uh, that whereas Amazon is a global company, which in practice means it's active in a half a dozen big countries and a few others uh, in a big way, uh, groceries is a very local market. So those 400 stores and whatever Amazon fresh footprint Amazon has now, it's very localized. Uh, so it's not, you know, if I'm here in Utah, for example, I don't live particularly close to a Whole Foods. It doesn't do me a lot of good. Amazon Fresh isn't here either. You know, this is something that's either not available in many places or would require some travel to get to, which makes it a lot less compelling. So it's still just the beginnings of a broader e-commerce strategy. And this continues to be 
one of the few big challenges for Amazon uh, in a you know context in which it's doing extremely well across any number of categories is densifying its infrastructure in many places at once. Uh, that's expensive. It's hard to do. We've got this chicken and egg situation between scale and investment. Um, but you know the Walmart thing certainly not Walmart. Excuse me, Whole Foods thing propels them forward a long way in achieving that kind of scale and, and getting that sort of penetration into many urban markets in the United States. It is worth briefly mentioning the Walmart Bonobos deal, um, just as Amazon has been pushing into these categories that have traditionally been tough for e-commerce. And I mentioned groceries, obviously. I mentioned clothing as well. Walmart acquired Jet.com, and then it's been been using Jet.com's infrastructure and various other things, but also Mark Law, who was running Jet.com, uh, been using them as a vehicle for making a whole range of other acquisitions, mostly in the clothing space. And I've joked that pretty much every acquisition they made so far has a name that's two, com- two nouns shoved together. So mod cloth, shoe buy, moose jaw, hay needle. Uh, Bonobos will be the exception to that. Uh, but Bonobos is a menswear retailer. It's one of the biggest acquisitions they've made in this space so far. Um, it does have some physical retail stores, but the, the strategy for Walmart seems to be very much focusing on brands with niche appeal rather than going really broad. Walmart obviously has very broad uh, clothing range within its stores and online already, so it's really going for sort of uh, brands with dedicated customer bases and uh, aggregating those, and then you know using the logistical and infrastructure benefits and scale that Walmart. Uh, brings to improve all of that so interesting strategy but both companies in some ways extending into areas that don't yet dominate you know and these are two very dominant companies in in physical retail and online retail respectively but each spreading into each other's spaces and uh, and clothing a focus for both of them although they're approaching that in different ways with amazon going organic primarily and walmart uh, having gone organic historically now going uh, through acquisitions into more niche brands and sort of specialization. Uh, but also worth mentioning that Amazon Prime Wardrobe service, which is a sort of subscription, it's not a subscription service yet. I imagine it might well become that in time, but it's sort of analogous to some of these subscription clothing services where you order a number of items, get a box in the mail, decide which ones to keep and which ones to send back. And a sort of slightly different model for ordering clothing online which both lowers the barrier to purchase, which is always a tough thing. People want to try things on before really committing to them. But as well as lowering the barrier to purchase, provides incentives for people to keep the stuff they do order. So you get discounts and so on, and the more items you actually keep out of that box. So interesting stuff there. I'm sure that will evolve over time into something much more sophisticated as well. So that's the Amazon Whole Foods stuff and some other related items. So onto these sort of smaller items I want to cover more quickly. Firstly, Microsoft's new Xbox. Uh, this was announced as the E3 gaming conference almost two weeks ago now. Um, there'd been a lot of speculation about the the new Xbox being somehow philosophically, strategically very different animal from previous Xboxes. I mean, Microsoft's been making a ton of noise about how Windows 10 is really the platform now and, and really talking about Xbox as if it's just another Windows 10 PC. And so there was a lot of speculation that the new Xbox would be positioned as just that, as basically a PC for the living room with lots of uh, the implications that that has. In the end, what they announced was actually just another Xbox, frankly. I mean, it's it's upgraded in, in many ways. Um, you know, you've got 4K support and, uh, you know, broad spec upgrades across the, you know, a number of different categories. You know, on paper, at least for now, it's more powerful than the PlayStation PS4 Pro, which is 
the sort of equivalent from Sony right now. Of course, Sony will update that in time as well. It's called the Xbox One X. Um, and, uh, you know, it seems like a great advance, but it, it just isn't nearly the sort of philosophical and strategic departure that a lot of people are expecting. It feels very much in line with the last two Xbox announcements Microsoft's made. And, uh, you know, in that sense, very much a traditional gaming console. And so less newsworthy than it might have been in that sense. Um, but, you know, looks like a really serious uh, new version of the Xbox, which, you know, lots of people will probably buy. You know, Sony's been winning the current round in the console wars between these two companies, selling more Playstations and Microsoft's been selling Xboxes. Microsoft stopped reporting Xbox sales. Never a good sign, um, but probably indicative of that, you know, that, that gap that's emerging between the two in this current generation. Uh, but, you know, this should help. Um, at least for a while, Microsoft regained some of the momentum in, in Xbox sales. Uh, and remember that the yeah, Xbox is one of the few big bright spots in Microsoft's consumer business from a monetization perspective. It does have a number of consumer properties, um, but Bing uh, and, and ads and then Xbox are two of the sort of big uh, revenue sources in the consumer world for Microsoft. Uh, Office obviously has been one in the past, still is to some extent, though the number of subscribers is still... Uh, fairly small in the grand scheme of things compared to the traditional office uh, base in the old software world. And then Windows now as a free upgrade, you know, has become a lot less monetizable for Microsoft in the consumer space. So, you know, Xbox is an important business for them. Um, and the ties with the rest of Windows and the rest of Microsoft will continue to grow. And there's some interesting announcements around Minecraft as well. Um, but as I say, not the big strategic shift that, that some people were expecting, a bit more modest than that, uh, though still interesting and still looks like a significant upgrade. I want to briefly talk about the Apple hiring, uh, but not just the hiring, but the hiring of two Sony TV executives who had overseen um, big uh, projects like The Crown for Netflix um, and Breaking Bad for AMC. And... Uh, Apple didn't just hire them, you know, hires people all the time, uh, but it actually put out a press release announcing that it had hired them and announcing that they were going to be leading its original video content efforts. And so that's a really unusual step for Apple to actually put out a press release about a, a mid-level hire. Um, and that's just indicative that Apple really does want to make a big statement about this. And the hire is itself a big statement, but announcing it even more so that it's really serious about original content. And, you know, what's interesting here is these guys have worked for Sony Television, which makes content on behalf of others, whereas Apple's strategy here is actually going to be the reverse of that. They're going to be like the Netflix in the case of The Crown or like uh, AMC in the case of Breaking Bad, and they're going to be the ones commissioning the content, which will mostly be produced by other companies. And so uh, it's an interesting choice to hire two guys who have been on the other side of that relationship in the past. Clearly, they understand that relationship and that model very well, so it's a good fit in that sense. Um, but an interesting choice. And the other interesting thing to think about is just these guys report directly to Eddie Q. Jimmy Iovine's been kind of the, um, what's the word? The, the sort of spanner in the works, the, 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 the um, wild card, I guess, in, in this whole space. Because Jimmy Iovine brought in, of course, through the Beats acquisition a couple of years ago, um, has taken on a role in video content and so on. And a lot of Amazon's, Apple's, uh, original video content is obviously going into Apple Music today, which obviously Jimmy Iovine also oversees. Um, and so he's naturally had a role in that. But he feels like a bit of a maverick, a guy who goes out and does deals or makes promises and things. Um, 
in a way that's not very characteristic of Apple, which is normally very measured and uh, very clear about who owns different things and so on. And so it's going to be very interesting to watch the dynamic between these two new uh, TV executives that have come in from Sony and Jimmy Iovine and Eddie Q and various others have been involved in all of this. Um, that that could be problematic or this could finally provide some clarity. There's been numerous news reports saying that various people at studios and so on were confused about who really owned all of this at Apple. And, and this statement about these two former Sony TV execs certainly formally answers that question. And it's just a question of whether Apple can keep Jimmy Iovine in line and make sure that everybody else plays nicely around all of this and that that clarity is actually there in practice and not just in theory following the hiring of these two executives. But certainly don't think this statement would have been made, these hires would have been made if Apple was planning to just keep all of this to Apple Music and a handful of sort of tests of the original content model. This really feels like a prelude to a much bigger push into original video content, which presumably will go well beyond Apple Music and into some theoretical Apple video service that might be launched in the future. And that's something we've obviously talked about quite a bit in the past. So interesting hire, as I say, not just for the making of the hire, but the way it was announced and so on as well. Feels like a statement that there's a lot more to come from Apple on the original video content side. The last thing I just want to talk about quickly, uh, announcement by Google that Gmail uh, which will no longer be scanning the content of emails in order to target the ads that appear within Gmail. Uh, that's notable because this has been a key feature, a key reason even for being in the email business for Google from the start, that it would show ads and that those ads would be powered by the context in which they appeared. So if you got an email from somebody about planning a trip somewhere, they might be ads for flights or hotels or whatever in that place. Or if you got an email about uh, your refrigerator being broken, they might be ads for new refrigerators or refrigerator repair people nearby. Um, you know, that was always part of the concept and, and how Google made those ads relevant much in the same way as Google search advertising has always provided very relevant ads based on what people were looking at and searching for right now. In some ways, the fact that it's taken this long uh, to make this change is uh, interesting. It's always been one of the biggest bugbears that people have had about Gmail. Microsoft had this famous Scroogled campaign about it uh, where they you know, really played up this aspect that there were people almost literally reading your email, which of course they never were, um, in order to provide these targeted ads and, and really played up you know the creepy side of this. And it's always been one of the biggest criticisms. It's always been one of the biggest liabilities around Gmail. It's fed all kinds of perceptions about Google and targeting and profiling and so on, which Google's never done all that much to uh, fend off. So it's notable they're finally making the change now, but even more notable is why. And this, I think, is this is why I wanted to include it on the News Roundup today, because this is actually the most interesting aspect of this. It appears that the reason for the change has nothing to do with Google suddenly uh, having a change of conscience about uh, scanning your emails in general. It's that as the enterprise side of Google has tried to sell the Google apps, the G Suite equivalent of Gmail to enterprises, some companies have been reluctant to do that because they worried that their corporate emails would be read in order to target advertising. The reality is, of course, that those paid-for versions, and G Suite is a paid product, those paid-for versions don't show ads at all and therefore don't need to scan your emails or anything else. So they don't show ads, they don't scan your emails at all in a corporate paid environment. Uh, but this was coming up often enough that Google felt the need to uh, discontinue that scanning and targeting 
that happens in the consumer versions just so they can make a blanket statement and say we do not scan your emails at all ever whether on the consumer side or the enterprise side so this is notable for the fact that the enterprise side of google's business which is still tiny in the overall scheme of things it's part of this big other bucket that includes the google play store and hardware and various other things and it's sort of a few hundred million a quarter that whole big that whole uh, enterprise business is tiny in the grand scheme of things and yet diane green who runs that business was the one who kind of said hey guys we really should change this because it's a barrier to us being able to sell these services in the enterprise, even though it's fundamentally based on a misunderstanding because Google was never scanning enterprise emails to begin with. But notable that she had the clout and was able to make that change, even though this is entirely consumer-centric uh, product and decision, really. Um, it's been influenced by this much smaller enterprise side of the business, the tail kind of wagging the dog here to some extent. Um, and so that's notable. That really suggests that Diane Green and the enterprise business uh, is being seen as important enough to warrant even quite significant policy and strategic changes in the consumer side of the business, which we've never really seen that kind of thing from Google before. So that's uh, symbolic, if nothing else, but also suggests that there's a shift in how Google is thinking about that enterprise business. There's a willingness to give Diane Green what she feels she needs in order to build that business more quickly and more effectively. So notable for all of those reasons. Uh, if not for the fact that your emails won't be scanned anymore to target advertising if you're a Gmail user. At any rate, that's the last of the news items I wanted to cover today. This has been the News Roundup episode. Again, in the show notes, there will be links to tech narratives. Uh, Stories on most of these, some of them will be free pieces. Most of them will be paid. You can sign up for a free trial uh, if you haven't signed up as a subscriber or tried the free trial before. And you'll be able to read all those pieces and a bunch of other stuff, including some in-depth essays on about 50 different topics and some videos that I've been doing pretty much every week as well on those topics as well as a sort of complement to those. So thanks for listening. As I said, uh, just a one-off here with just me this week. Next week, we should have our two usual episodes with your two usual hosts. So back to normal next week after a couple of weeks break. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. And we'll be with you again next week. Thanks. Bye-bye.